Welcome, Compass Bible Church, to this week's episode of the Compass Equip Podcast. That's what I did. That's what you did. The Compass Equip. Oh, oh, this is Pastor Evan, and that was Pastor Hayden. (laughs) What do you have to say for yourself? That's it. That's all I have to say. Well, here at Compass Bible Church, we make weird noises, but we also make disciples of Jesus Christ by reaching people for Christ, teaching people to be like Christ, and training people to serve Christ. And everything that we do here at Compass, including weird noises, is to fulfill that mission (laughs) of reaching, teaching, and training. That was a little sacrilegious, but yeah, I mean, we'll have to explain that. We'll have to explain ourselves. All right. Well, Compass, we wrapped up another book of the Bible. You know, Pastor Hayden, we are less than one year young, and we have finished two books. First, two whole f- books. Two whole books. The letter to the Colossians, and now Jonah. Fin- wrapping up with Jonah chapter four, and since it's lengthy, it's eleven verses. I'll sum it up. Jonah was angry that God was merciful to Nineveh, hmm. and God God gave him a lesson through mm-hmm. giving him a plant and taking that plant away. Yep. And Jonah was upset, and God's like, "Dude, come on, like, should I not show pity to these people that mm-hmm. I created?" So mm-hmm. that is Pastor Evans' paraphrase. Southern tra- California version. There you go. Uh, <laughs> of Jonah chapter four. But Pastor Hayden, your main point of the sermon is that we must drastically increase our concern for the lost if we want to reflect the genuine compassion of God. Kind of right away, you kind of challenged us about wanting, truly wanting revival in New Braunfels and kind of elaborate some more on that. What does a desire for revival look like here for us in the New Braunfels in the hill country of Texas? Well, a revival is simply this, a miraculous, God-ordained event of many people repenting and coming to Christ. And so that's why you can easily say, uh, that in a way, revival happened in Nineveh because it was a miraculous, God-ordained, mass repentance event. And so that's in the New Testament, it would just be repenting and turning to Christ in a God-ordained mass uh, event. And so, yeah, we all desire to see that. I hope, if you're listening to this, that is a desire. But the, the problem that I posed was, even the name of the sermon, uh, the revival you don't want. Uh, because obviously, uh, all great movements of God uh, begin with prayer. Uh, and so tonight we shall see, you know, how many of our uh, church members will be here to pray for revival, uh, to be expectant of revival, and how many of us are willing to be compassionately involved in the process of revival here in New Braunfels. And that leads us right into your first point, which is admit you aren't as compassionate as you thought. And there's a couple thoughts or a couple of things I noted down during your sermon. Uh, first was that if we don't have the compassion of God, we paint a wrong picture of who God is. You want to kind of elaborate more of more on that? Yeah. When you read scripture, it's very clear over and over again, even in the Psalms that we read today and here in verse two of chapter four, uh, it says that I know that you're a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. But truth be told, when we talk to people, uh, that's just not the picture that they have of God. And over and over again in Scripture, this is the majority of the time the way God is described. But yet, uh, people, especially unchurched, non-churched, 
uh, they have a very different view of God. And sometimes I wonder if their view of God has more to do with the kind of people that they're around who call themselves Christians, who don't reflect the character and compassion of God. And so that point number one was really designed to get us to at least say, because oftentimes uh, we've ne- we don't say it, we don't assert it, but at least at this point, we need to admit that we aren't as compassionate as we thought, that there is a level of compassion that we thought we were, and after you know we, we executed the text, looked at some application, maybe we got to the point today where we realized, hey, you know what? I'm not as compassionate as I thought. Let me be real with myself. I'm not as compassionate as I thought I was. And he actually gave us four questions to ask ourselves to really test about how truly compassionate or uncompassionate we truly are. Mm. You don't have to repeat the questions because they're on the application questions for us this week. But how do these questions help prove that we're maybe not as compassionate, maybe we're more quick to anger than Mm -hmm. we think? Well, when I wrote these questions, I thought about different uh, people in our church, different groups of people in our church, uh, and some real things that you may be dealing with in your in your go uh, day-to-day life. And it was great. After the service, I had a, a couple of good conversations about people who say, you know what, one of those questions really uh, penetrated my heart because it's exactly how they think of people in their uh, day-to-day lives. And so that's exactly what this was meant to do. It just hits you in the day-to-day because it is in the day-to-day where you realize how compassionate or how uh, uncompassionate you really are. It's not you know, when you're really thinking about it or when you're at church on Sunday, it's literally, you know, as you're living your life. And those questions were just designed to show us, hey, you know what? We aren't as compassionate as we want to say that we are. And so that's, sometimes that's because we pursue our own comfort above mm-hmm. the the task at hand for us to make disciples, which sure. leads into point number two, to care for lost souls above your own comfort. And I do want to touch on Romans 9, but mm-hmm. I do want you to kind of elaborate a little bit more on how in Jonah, we look at Jonah and I'm reading scripture this morning. I'm like, this guy is such a, a punk. He's mm-hmm. a petty punk. But then I realized, oh, I'm that petty punk. Right. Kind of kind of explain that a little bit more, how Jonah is a picture of us. Right. Well, if you remember, the book of Jonah was written to Israel, right, to help Israel see that they're the petty punks, right, that, uh, that Nineveh would repent at the preaching of a terrible prophet, uh, but yet they've had all the great prophets in history and they wouldn't repent. And so... Uh, Jonah is really meant to, to, to draw a, a good picture, a mirror for us to look into and say, you know, we're the ones who aren't very compassionate. I think back of uh, when uh, David was confronted uh, after that he committed adultery uh, and uh, who uh, was uh, Samuel, right? When was it Samuel that confronted him? Who confronted him in his sin? Nathan. Nathan, not Samuel. Nathan. Nathan uh, confronted him and I told him the the story of how somebody stole, uh, you know, a sheep because they needed it to feed uh, some people, and there was a wealthy family who stole it, and uh, and that was the only sheep that that poor family had. And then David's anger grew because of just how messed up it was that somebody would take a poor family sheep and slaughter it and feed it to their rich, wealthy. Uh, you know, uh, visitors, and he was just so angry. And Nathan said. David, this was you. You took someone's wife and you murdered them. And then like his anger turned into like shame and guilt, uh, which in the same way I think is what this does to us. It's like we're so mad at that punk until we realize we're that punk. And we just didn't realize it until the punchline. 
And I think it's the same point here. It's like we need to care about lost souls above our own comfort because really, you know, we're the punks who want the shade and want the plant and love God's grace being poured out on us, but we don't want to be the conduit of God's grace being poured out on other people. And that hits me in the heart just as much as it, I hope it hits people who are listening to this. Well, you challenged us to make sure that we elevate our care for the lost. And so you gave us a couple um, easy ones, like one joining you know, the different church-wide outreaches. There's usually going to be three at least, mm-hmm. Christmas, Easter, the outre- uh, back-to-school outreach every year. Uh, one that you mentioned was like, here's a very passive way. Have the little square invite cards and put that in the checkbook when you go out to mm-hmm. a restaurant. But you know, kind of use this time, you may not have had time in the sermon, but to spend, use this time to kind of challenge us for the one, like the sharing the gospel one. Can you, what is some words right. of encouragement, also exhortation that would challenge us to say, hey, this is what we got to do. Uh, as far as the outreach goes? Uh, or elevating. Is, is, oh, elevating. Yeah, and I think it goes along with point number three, right, is compassionately calling people to repentance. I mean, that's that's what we're here for. Uh, and the encouragement is this, that when we, and it's even my further insight, all that kind of comes together in one uh you know, talking point is when we see the the proper perspective. When and God did this in the life of Jonah, He gave him the proper perspective. You care about this plan more than you care about souls. Like that's wicked. And uh, should I not care about all these people? God says, one hundred twenty thousand people. The fact that He even knows the number of people there. I mean, it just shows His care and uh, specific compassion for these souls. Uh, and it's for you and I to have encouragement. It's that God knows every single soul who's moving into New Braunfels, and. Uh, Perhaps God has brought them here for their salvation. And to keep proper perspective to say, you know what? You may live two, three, four more years, five more years, ten more years. I mean, at most, right, even Scripture says 70 and at strength, maybe 80 is how long you're going to be on this earth. And then what? You're going to spend eternity somewhere. Like, the proper perspective is, like, eternity is a long time. Just imagine this. You may not be able to, to, in your imagination, think of how long eternity is, but at least, say, 10,000 years. You can probably imagine 10,000, maybe 1,000. Say for, like, 80 years, you're going to be here, and then for 5,000 years, you're going to be doing something different. And then just add 5,000 more for eternity. And think, like, this 80 years is nothing. And so when we keep proper perspective, it, it begins to think, well, maybe my popularity isn't so big of a deal. Maybe my vanity or my pride, maybe I can let all that stuff go and just walk up to people and just be real and say, hey, you know, I know I'm about to spend the next 5,000 plus affinity years, you know, doing something uh, in, in eternity. And I just want to ask, you know, what do you think you're going to be doing for eternity? Like if, if you just keep proper perspective, this can, becomes very, very simple. Uh, but it's when we don't have proper perspective, when our plant becomes our idol, when our children become our idol, when my job becomes my idol, when my pets become my idol, and those kind of things take precedent, uh, we kind of lose perspective on actually what is out there in eternity because we keep things so, like I've used before, myopic, just so nearsighted that we don't realize that there's so much more ahead. And if I can just think of the realities of eternity over and over again in my life, I think, man, you know, there is a much easier, more joyful, fulfilling commission here in my life right now uh, than trying to keep up with the Joneses. I get to, you know, fulfill the mission of God by reaching people for Christ. And it's something that you mentioned at the very end of your sermon, at least at the 9 a.m., I think you did it at the 11, I have to assume, is that we need two things, Romans 1 and 1 Peter 3, we, that we cannot be ashamed and after we have to make sure that we're gentle and respectful. Mm-hmm. But as we were talking about this text this week, you know, we mentioned that you know, a lot of the times we fall in bo- like either one or two camps. 
either we're really gentle and respectful to people, mm-hmm. but we're ashamed, we're, but we're ashamed, mm-hmm. and the, or we're not ashamed of it, but we're not gentle and respectful. So, sure. how would you speak to those two people groups right now? Yeah, with that uh, spectrum of the reality. I mean, we just have so many zealots. I like to call them right? people who I'm going to tell you the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Literally, no grace, just truth. Uh, and it's like, you know, that's doesn't show the compassion of God, the character of God, the attributes of God, because God is also compassionate and he uh, calls us to be uh, sharing the truth in love. He tells us uh, to, you know, give people the reason for the hope that we have in us with gentleness and respect. And so you do have to respect people, image bearers. You have to ex- you have to respect image bearers of God and you need to honor them as as that's what they are. They're souls who need Christ. Uh, but on the other side of that, we have people who just love what I just said. Uh, you know, image bearers of Christ. You need to love them. You need to have compassion on them, right? I mean, gentle. You need to be gentle and respectful to them. But, like, you use gentleness and respect as uh, a crutch of why you won't share the gospel because you don't believe that that's re- gentle and respectful. Uh, but that's, like, literally the most unloving thing. So in your, uh, in your excuse to be loving and compassionate, you actually fail to do the most loving, compassionate thing you can do, and that's share the truth with them. And so if we can just get both of these, uh, you know, people on the spectrum just kind of in the, right in the middle where they belong, like we're going we're gonna to not be ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of salvation for all who believe. Uh, and then I'm also going to say, you know what, but I'm also going to be gentle and, and respectful and compassionate towards people who need God. A good reminder for us, Compass, is 2 Corinthians 5.20, where we are ambassadors of Christ. And what is, what is God doing with us? He's making his appeal through us. And that Greek word is to kind of ask a person uh, to accept an offer, to invite some. So God is using us to draw people to himself. And Paul adds these words, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And the word implore is to ask with urgency, with, you know, there's a implication there. It's almost another way to say it's to plead and to beg. And so we're not yelling at someone, you need to repent right now. It's to say we're begging people. We're pleading with people, please turn. Don't choose your sin. Choose Christ and said, follow the shepherd who's calling your name. Let him draw. He's drawing you near. Follow after him. And so that's a good reminder for us. It's like, hey, we, we, we implore people. We, we plead with people because we know the implications and ramifications. All right. Well, Pastor Hayden, you already addressed one of the application questions, or I should say four of them. But how should we approach as we have another week off of life groups mm-hmm. this week? I know these are devotionally, but yep. uh, those other three questions, how should we approach those other three, other three questions this week? Well, because they're devotional, it's more of like, hey, how are you going to answer these to further... Uh, your own discipleship personally. Like when you look at the second question, you know, when you read 1 Thessalonians 2, 8 through 9, what does the scripture suggest is the appropriate way to care for lost souls? What are some of the commitments you might make to care for souls like 1 Thessalonians 2, 8 through 9 teaches? And it's the scripture that teaches us uh, that we're not only going to share the gospel, but our very own lives. And so it's really the holistic commitment of saying, I'm going to share the gospel, but I want to share my whole life. And so the devotional aspect of that is, how are you literally uh, going to commit? And how, what are some ways you can commit to both share the gospel, but also share your lives with people in hopes and expectation uh, for people, uh, or for you to invest in people the way that God wants us to. And so I want you to do that with all of them. Uh, and I think if you do it that way, I really think it'll be a helpful for you, a helpful quiet time opportunity for you this week. 
All right. Well, Pastor Hayden, to kind of maybe throw a curveball at you, it's something that we were discussing actually mm-hmm. this week, and it actually might be a question that our church may have or some people in the church <coughs> is kind of like with the prayer thing. Right. If God is sovereign, if God is, is going to you know, win the elect, he's going to draw the elect to himself, why evangelize? Yeah, that's a really good question, and it's a hard question. Uh, and, and when we try to get into the details <coughs> of many things like... Uh, we we often talk about uh, you know limited uh, limited atonement or uh, a particular atonement those types of things. It's like you know where is the where is the limit? I don't know, but we all believe there's a limit because we don't believe that every single person is going to get saved, and so and no one does other than universalists. And so we see already when you just begin thinking about it on the surface level, huh? That is a good question. Like you know, there God is sovereign. He's gonna he's gonna bring people to Himself. Uh, not everyone's going to get saved, but some are. How does all that work? Uh, you know, I, th- I think I'll give you a, a good, solid, easy answer, but what I want to give you is the real humble answer at first. It's like, listen, you know, and Paul says it even in Romans 9, you know, who are we to question God? And who are we? I think it's Romans 8. It may be Romans 8, uh, 8, 8 or 9. I can't remember. Uh, but yeah, who are we? You know, God is so far above us. He knows all these things. And really, uh, all that's up to God. You know, I don't save anyone. God does. And he just calls me to do something. And he calls me to evangelize. Evangelion, right? I mean, it's, it's good news. It's, it's, it's the gospel. And he just tells me to go tell people. And so it's like at the end of the day, I'm supposed to tell people God's going to save people. And so I'm not, I'm not here. I'm not withholding the gospel from anyone. And I, I'm going to live as though God... God wants everyone saved because he says that he doesn't desire the death of the wicked. He doesn't want to see he doesn't want to see anybody perish but all come to the knowledge of Christ. And so for me, that's an easy enough answer for me. Uh, but for those of you who want a, a more specific answer, just like prayer and we talked about it, and we'll talk about it again in a moment. Uh, God uses means to get to his ends. And so the means of salvation is the proclamation of the gospel. And so the means is God uses evangelism. He uses when we proclaim the gospel. The ends of that is people come to know him. And so the means is us being evangelistic. The ends is that people get saved. God did it. He just used means to get it done. Would this be an accurate statement then? God builds his church, right? Only God Mm -hmm. builds his church. But how does he do it? Through making disciples. So through us making disciples. So there is a participation that we're in. We're in God's sovereign plan in this. But it's in Romans 9 and 21, the clay and the potter. And who, who are we to, for God to decide, hey, I'm going to show mercy who I'm going to show mercy to and compassion who I'm going to show compassion. Is that the verse you're thinking of? Or no, I just, yeah, I mean, but if you keep going, it, it, Paul keeps talking about like, you know, like God is just so big and we're just so small and his ways are so big. And our and we just, who are we to question? And I guess that is the text. Uh, it talks a little bit more in detail. But like, who are we? You know, who are we to, to question God? And the trouble is, is when we try to put ourselves in God's perspective rather than staying in our perspective. Right. And God has given us a simple task for us to make disciples. And that's part of it is reaching people to evangelize Mm -hmm. and to just, you know, and to teach them to to build on that discipleship. And so he's going to save, but we have to be faithful. And that's our job. We have to be faithful, trusting that God will give us the strength, Mm -hmm. that he'd give us the wisdom to do our job. And he's going to do his well, and not to push too many buttons here, but like when we, when we want to like you know frown at God's elective purposes, like you know that we are the most selective, elective human beings that have ever existed because 
we don't we we don't even share the gospel with people who walk around us. We don't even have our own perspective when it comes to people. Like you know, if if you really want to believe that everybody that you get to share the gospel with will, will get saved, then what in the world are you doing not sharing the gospel with every single person? Right? You have the you have an elective will much more specific than God does. It seems. And I know I'm just saying that to press the button, but the point of the matter is, like, we've got to get out there and just do what God says. Get out there and do evangelism. He's going to use the means of evangelism to, to see people saved. And it, and it says that in Scripture. It teaches us. Uh, in, in Romans, again, we're back, we're back in Romans. It's like, you know, here, how do people, how do people get saved? By hearing the word. Right. Romans chapter 10. There it is. And so that's how they get saved. So it's a means. Our evangelism is a means to his end, and it gives him glory. And it gives him glory because his people, his servants, are out proclaiming his message to the world. And that requires us to have a proper understanding of who God is. And mm-hmm. So, Pastor Hayden, what's a resource that we can have uh, that might be able to help us see God in a, in a different light to, you know, to bolster us to be zealous to obey right. him? Uh, A.W. Tozer's book, The Attributes of God, is a great one because it just goes over the attributes of God. And there are some communicable attributes, some non-communicable attributes, but at the end of the day, we need to reflect the attributes of God. And so this book really goes into them, and it's going to grow your love for the Lord and your commitment to really follow Him and do what He asks. You have another one there. What, what do you have? I put down holiness by J.C. Ryle. To be able to understand God's holiness is going to be able to drive us to say, okay, this is who God is, and this is how I'm going to act and mm-hmm. behave around him. And so this is a very good, it's anything by J.C. Ryle is going to kind of punch you in the face a little bit, mm-hmm. but it's a very good book to kind of help you understand the holiness of God and how we imitate that as God calls us to be holy as he is holy. All right, Pastor Evan, we are in our daily Bible reading spotlight, and we are starting in Psalm 103. Oh, we're starting in Psalm 103 and ending in Psalm 118. Let's go. I forgot to add that one in in our notes, but there we go. All right, so tell us about it. Well, as a reminder, we are still in the longest book of the Bible, which is made up of five different books. This is Israel's hymnal. It's a book for us written by many different authors to help us properly worship God and develop a deeper devotion to God, no matter what our circumstances is. And are. there, uh, I learned today that some people didn't know what a psalter was. Oh, so there you go. A psalter is just the collective hymns, the psalms, the psalter. So it could be a uh, just you know you may see a psalter at a church. Uh, it's just a book that is just the psalms. And so there you go. There you go. And so, Compass, we are ending book number four uh, with Psalm 103 to 106, and we're beginning the last book, book number five, with Psalm 107, and we'll end at Psalm 118, and then the next week we'll be pretty much in one psalm the entire week, Uh, Psalm 119, which is a beautiful, I love Psalm 119. A big, beautiful, boisterous, bodacious Bible book. (laughs) Alliterations. I know. I'm just letting you okay. keep going. I was. I couldn't. I couldn't land the plane. But yeah, it's okay. We'll forget. Psalm 119. Though. Psalm 119. That is next week. But this week, Compass, uh, I just want to help guide you as we are reading the Psalms, and I've been really enjoying the Psalms. Mm, the Psalms same. have been so good to kind of edify me and build me up as I've I've been listening and reading reading them, and to kind of help you end Book Four well. The last. Uh, six psalms in uh, the book four as we finish them. As a reminder, these are the, the psalmist, the writer of these psalms, are 
joyfully proclaiming how good God is and how good it is to dwell with God and then to to be reigned, to be ruled by God. And in the, all, all four of the Psalms this week and, and ending in book number four talk about this, how in Psalm 103, how the steadfast love of God is from everlasting to everlasting. It's, it's forever and, and it's good to be in that. Uh, Psalm 104, how God, he's the one that waters the trees. And I, I thought of you in this one, how mm-hmm. he, the my, high mountains are the, are for the wild goats mm-hmm. and the rocks are the refuge for the hunt, rock badgers. Cause Pastor Hayden likes animals yeah, and knows a thing or two about goats. <laughs> but God, even he's the one that provides, you know, creation to be able to function and live. Uh, Psalm 105, how we are supposed to seek the Lord in his strength, in his presence continually, seeking how good it is to dwell with him. And then Psalm 106, landing at book number four, of how good it is to be with the steadfast love of God forever. And how we need to declare this praise forever and forevermore. And so let the book number four be just an encouragement for you. And remember to mark these down. Because when times come when you need them, you need to turn to God's word quickly. Mm -hmm. So that he can help you get through this storm well. Well, Compass, we're going to also begin book number five. And essentially what book number five is going to be proclaiming is the steadfast love and faithfulness of God over and over and over. And in most of the Psalms, you're going to see the the phrase, the steadfast love of God. And Pastor Hayden, you kind of mentioned this in the 9 a.m. What is the steadfast love of God? It's covenant-keeping, promise-keeping love that is eternal and goes on and on and on and all about his faithfulness. And what is the covenant-keeping promise? Like, what does that mean? that God had made a promise to Israel uh, that he was going to love them in spite of them. I think Hosea is a really good example of that in, in the prophet Hosea. But in the New Testament, it means this, that the faithful, uh, that steadfast love of God in Christ Jesus means that uh, our love is kept in Christ Jesus. So in, in as much as God loves the Son and he has promised the Son his affection and, and, it's, and his commitment, that is now to each Christian as God's children. And so we have the steadfast love of God, that covenant-keeping love of God in Christ Jesus. So it's never going to leave. It doesn't matter what happens this side of eternity. We're always in the love of God because of his covenant-keeping love for us in Christ. And so pay close attention as we begin the first 15 Psalms in book number 5 of how the psalmists, the different authors from David and Solomon and others, see this covenant-keeping love of God and how it drives them to run to God, to thank God, Mm -hmm. and to ask God for deliverance, as in Psalm 109, say, hey, because of your steadfast love is good, deliver me. Mm-hmm. Because of your covenant-keeping love, deliver me. Right. That is something that we always see in the Psalms. Is in, in the Psalms, they're appealing to his covenant-keeping love because that's what you would appeal to as a as an Israelite is, God, you will keep your promises even though I fail, you don't. Something you may notice between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant is uh, in the, the Psalms, you may see things that allude to this idea that they would re- God would remove his steadfast love uh, and that's just the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The Old Covenant was blessings for blessings or curses for curses. God said, 
Uh, if you if you obey me, I will bless you. If you disobey me, I will curse you. Well, the difference is in the New Testament, uh, we're under we're under grace, and so the fact that we have Christ uh, now that is where our steadfast love comes from. No longer from a blessings and curses standpoint, but from a in Christ standpoint. So although they would appeal to the steadfast love of God and hope that God would never take that away, we have the actual better covenant and better promise that it, that the steadfast love of God can't be taken away. So that would be something if. If you're reading it and you're a little confused with that terminology, that would be a good answer for you uh, when it comes to the two covenants and the steadfast love of God in both. And so the psalm highlight this week is the psalm right before Psalm 119, Psalm 118. And mm-hmm. when you're reading this, uh, this, this psalm, just pay close attention and see how uh, this psalmist is just crying out to God because of the steadfast love of God and how out of his distress, he called on the Lord and the Lord answered him and set me f- and set him free. And we can even see that in the new covenant lens of how when we repented and trusted in Christ, we called out to God in our distress and God answered because he fulfilled the payment of our sin and it set us free. And so then the psalmist is like, I will not fear what can man do to me. The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. And this is the old covenant viewpoint. And then we have this new covenant viewpoint with Paul. And I love Paul because it's like the Psalms right here in Romans 8, like all the Psalms culminated in the new covenant. We, I love Romans 8. I hope you love Romans 8. But think about this. Romans 8 verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? And you know, if the if God is for us, who can be against us? Isn't that the Psalms for the mm. past several weeks over and over and over? It's like, God, I, you're the one that delivers. You're the one who saves. You know, um, you are the one who is the creator of the universe, who is in charge. I'm going to turn to you for the deliverance from my enemies. And our enemy is sin, as you talked about in your sermon. Our problem is our sin problem with eternity. And so Paul encourages us in verse, in continuing in verse 32, he, God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things who shall bring any charge against God's elect? If God, who it is God, who justifies, who is to condemn Christ? Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And that is such a wonderful picture. I'm just thinking of the Psalms and how the Psalms are just alluding to what Paul gets to see and what we get to see in its culmination, that this Jesus is the God that delivers us from our sins. And I love verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulations or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword? And he continues on in verse 38. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that the Psalms fulfilled right there? Mm. I mean, isn't that such a wonderful thing to hear as David in these Psalms looked forward to the deliverance of God and Paul and we get to look back at the deliverance of God and have hope for our future and see compass this is why it's so important to know our old and new testaments well because god will use this to encourage us to be faithful in him as we look forward to eternity 
All right, church. Hey, one more thing, a little bonus time for about 30 to 60 seconds. So we am going to ask the question, this question, why do we do church-wide prayer nights? You know, why, if God, again, if God is sovereign, why pray? If God is sovereign, why evangelize? The same reason over and over again, because God uses prayer as a means to his ends. And when his saints are praying in the will of God, for the will of God, God will answer their prayers because it gives him ultimate glory and it's for our good. It grows us in our sanctification. It grows us in our confidence and trust in God. I mean, how, uh, how much confidence does it build in you and I when we ask God and he gives it? I mean, that is, that is the definition of an intimate relationship with our Father. And so with that, we commit to churchwide prayer nights because they are useful uh, to the ends that God has issued on this earth to see lost people saved and to see his church be built up. And we know we can do nothing apart from God. And all the things that we will ever do are done in the power of the Holy Spirit through the will of God. And we are just a conduit uh, for the grace of God and a means to which he uses for his ends and for his good pleasure. And so that's why we're going to be meeting tonight. And that's why we're going to be meeting in future uh, Sunday evening prayer meetings, because we believe that uh, prayer is how God works in this world through the lives of his saints. And so we hope uh, not only that you will be here tonight or when you hear this, that you, you would have already been here, but that you will commit to being a part of future churchwide prayer nights. All right, Compass, quickly, announcements. Back to School Bash, August 21st, after the 11 a.m. service. We've been talking about this so much. So you know what it's talking about. So you need to invite families to be a part of this celebration and this great outreach. If you need more flyers, come to church. We got plenty. Compass Kids Adventure Club registration is now open. So we need to make sure that we are getting our kiddos signed up for that. The first uh, week, the first uh, gathering starts on August the 24th on Wednesday night. So make sure that if you haven't registered, go ahead and register right now. And don't forget, Adventure Club is for three-year-olds all the way to the fifth grade. And if you are on the Wednesday night life groups on campus, make sure you register your birth to two-year-olds for the kids care at Adventure Club. All right, Compass, let's commit to go out this week and reflect the genuine compassion of God in the people around us for their good and for the glory of God. We'll see you next week.